what up what up folks what's going on welcome to the spun today podcast the podcast that is anchored in writing but unlimited in scope i'm your host tony ortiz and i appreciate you listening this is episode 161 of the spun today podcast and in this episode i speak about the netflix series immigration nation the joe budden podcast splitting from spotify and the movie king of staten island Then on a separate and sad note, I reflect on the passing and career of Chadwick Boseman. And before we jump into the episode, I want to ask everybody listening for a favor. I want you to please go to spuntoday.com. That's S-P-U-N today.com forward slash subscribe. And sign up for my once-weekly newsletter by dropping in your email address at, once again, spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe. And here's a little bit more about what it is. You know that feeling you get on a Monday when the weekend already feels like a distant memory and the next one feels like it's weeks away? Have no fear, my friends. The Spun Today newsletter is here. And it's here to make it so that your Mondays don't have to suck. Come on, guys. I can lead you to the water, but I can't make you drink it. You have to do that part on your own by going to sponsorday.com forward slash subscribe. I put together a free weekly newsletter that I send out to all of my subscribers every Monday at noon. Here's what's in it. A photo of the week so that you can take your mind off the mundane and enjoy the scenic route. A podcast of the week because I listen to dozens of podcasts every single week from a wide range of shows. And I cherry pick the very best ones and recommend them to you here. The Sponsor newsletter also includes a video of the week, which will include anything from a TED talk to a rap battle to a tasty recipe that I stumbled upon or a dope interview. A quote of the week for some food for thought. And a word of the week for my fellow wordsmiths out there to step up your vocab. So you'll be getting five things absolutely for free every Monday at noon in your inbox. If you choose to subscribe, all you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you'll get the very next one. Immigration Nation is a six-part documentary series on Netflix that is, quote, looking inside the world of immigration enforcement under the Trump administration, end quote. I've watched two episodes of the six so far, and I honestly couldn't do so without going through a battery of different emotions while watching, from tearing up and being just heartbroken and empathizing with certain folks and their situations, their plight, to being angry, pissed off at the powers that be, mad at those that turn a blind eye, frustrated with those being sold a bag of goods and being told lies, and disgusted with the deliberate manipulators at the top of this issue. Now, 
being a Dominican American myself, I understand that for as objective as I try to be, certain life experiences may skew me in a certain direction. My parents are immigrants from the Dominican Republic that came here legally, but I also have relatives and know of folks that may not have come here legally. So I get the inherent bias, the implicit leaning that I may have. However, I believe that recognizing the potentiality of bias aids in checking it and steers you in the direction of being as objective as you can be. But don't get it twisted. I'm not discounting that bias. That bias comes from a real place. There are real life experiences tied to that bias. The fact that even though I was born in Brooklyn, raised in Queens, in New York fucking city, that to a racist, and I want to highlight racist, white person, I'm just an immigrant spick, that fact is not lost on me. That folks like that exist is not lost on me. That folks like that not only exist, but are depicted in this documentary is not lost on me. Also, folks, don't lose sight of the fact that every piece of media that you consume has an agenda, has spin tied to it. As I've outlined my own innate biases in my uh, opinions here, those or similar, whether innate or deliberate biases, are a part of the fabric of every piece of media that you consume, including this documentary which one can look at as left-leaning, as having left spin, if you will. And some of you listening to this might rebut or feel or state that you've heard, etc. How about the stories of immigrants that aren't hardworking, that didn't come here for a better life for their families? How about those Mexican rapists and MS-13 and gang members and repeat offenders and violent producers of violent crimes? Yes, those stories those immigrants perpetuating that type of negativity and violence also exist as part of this greater story. And by greater story, I'm referring to immigration as a whole. The problem, in my opinion, herein lies where you're stuck in your echo chamber and only hear stories of MS-13 gang members, immigrants raping and stealing, committing crimes, being repeat offenders, stealing jobs being the reason why the health system is all screwed up because and the prices are so high because they come over and use all our services for free when those are all the stories that you're hearing or even the majority of them when those are the types of stories that you're hearing that's the right side spin that's the right side narrative purposely and deliberately exclusionary of other stories to sow a divide to perpetuate fear so you can say Ra rah, I'm with the guy that's against immigration. Immigration bad. Never mind that this country literally exists because of immigration. But that's an even broader topic, right? An even broader topic to illegal immigration and migration. But then conversely, on the left, you have the spin of many heartfelt, heartfelt uh, stories that resonated with me that I saw in this documentary of a police officer, for example, in his country in El Salvador that fought against MS-13 gang violence and 
overnight because of threats to his life and the life of his wife and kid had to leave everything he knows overnight and flee for his life, for the life of his kid, for the life of his wife, for the life of his family. Flee, because if he didn't, it's over. You're dead. Comes to this country, becomes a plumber, I believe in his case, works hard, pays taxes, boom, gets deported back to El Salvador. You know, you have stories of, of families, parents that make the ultimate sacrifice of, again, leaving behind everything they ever knew. Imagine if you had to do that. Imagine you, most of my listeners are, are here in the U.S. Imagine if, but you know, feel, feel free to use this analogy with whatever country you're listening from. Imagine, you know, you living in the U.S. your entire life. Tomorrow, you have to uproot your family and bounce. Move to Canada or some shit. The balls that shit must take to even make that decision. Or what's even worse, the cognitive dissonance that's, that's going on for the folks that don't even make that decision for greed or or like personal gain per se, but out of necessity, out of not being able to feed their families where they're at or their lives being in danger where they're at. There's folks that have come over folks that have small children and that's the motivating factor for them getting the fuck out of Dodge. And they come to the U.S. illegally to be able to provide for that child. That might be one, two, three months old. That child then is technically an illegal immigrant. They could be in high school now, no records, honor student, or even average student, good kid. You going to tell me that's not an American kid? I was here from three months old. There was nothing and nobody in Mexico or in South America or in DR or wherever it is that they came from. Come on. My point here, if I have one, for pointing out these two polarizing sides, the right spin and the left spin, is to say that this is not a black and white issue. There's a ton of gray here. And I refuse to just paint them all with the same brush by treating it like a black and white issue, like good and bad. There's so much nuance. What was also interesting to me from the doc is the way that ICE, the immigration and customs uh, enforcement agency operates. They are the federal officers or agency that deploys certain federal officers to round up immigrants. They arrest them at work, go to their homes without warrants, round them up and take them in for processing, detention, and usually eventual deportation. And within that ICE structure, with those uh, federal officers, you're going to have nuance, right? You're going to have a spectrum of different types of officers. You're going to have folks that are just trying to do their job, collecting a check, putting food on their family's table. On the flip side of that, you're going to have the power-tripping, overzealous folks that are often in it for other reasons and often buying into the same spin and bullshit from the left or right probably from the right in these cases that the folks on the outside are swayed by and they let that bullshit that trickles down affect their jobs make no mistake the bullshit definitely does trickle down economics might not work that clearly and cleanly as some might think you know the whole trickle down theory but the bullshit from trump's executive orders to ramp up deportations, split up families, 
that bullshit definitely does trickle down and has real life consequences in the lives of thousands. That was eye opening for me. The folks a little too eager to say, I'm just doing my job. I just did what I'm told. That's what the Nuremberg trials were about after World War II, where Nazi soldiers were tried. The vast majority sentenced to 10 years to life, many of them sentenced to death for, quote, taking orders. Shout out to Josh Gordon-Levitt in the Snowden movie, written by Aaron Sorkin, which I'm quoting there, paraphrase quoting. And I don't want to make the leap of comparing this situation with the Nazi Germany and the Holocaust, although you can draw several correlations between concentration camps and separating families and locking them up at the border, keeping children in cages. You've heard that narrative mainly from the, from the left at nauseum, I'm sure. You can draw correlations to that. But what I do want to draw a correlation to and highlight is that very human look-the-other-way trait that's also present in this situation that just doesn't sit well with me. And the crazy shit is that for the non-gohards, I can't even blame them too much either because the structure is such that it's like a like a... I could liken it to a corporate environment where projects and goals and initiatives are compartmentalized so much that you work on certain pieces of it, but you're not able to see beyond a certain level. For instance, you can be in charge of ABC and you know that next, the next person that you hand it off to or that you work in conjunction with is responsible for DEF, but beyond that, you don't know how GH&I manifests or how they're working with other folks down the line, how the project takes shape. You just know what you were told to do and you focus on that and it's compartmentalized and you don't see or know or maybe even want to know the repercussions to your immediate tasks or actions. You're just pushing papers making widgets and that shit's by design it's like everyone at every rung of the ladder has plausible deniability or you know every decision is made above them i see that type of bullshit often in the corporate world where xyz decision or thing has to be done and sorry it wasn't my call it was my boss or my boss's boss then ah fuck i guess okay head down grind out work do what you got to do. Something that angered me, although it was ultimately within the context here, a good thing. The second executive order, I believe it was like seven months later where Trump had to roll back this go hard initiative of rounding people up and separating families and caging people at the border, etc. Because of the onslaught of like pressure and negative attention that he was getting. But I know that he and his administration, the way they move, are the type that they don't give a fuck if they're in the right or if they feel they're in the right. They're and by in the right, meaning like protected by law, etc., and have the political clout to do certain things. They don't give a fuck about public opinion in that way. But what pissed me off is that the rollback of that, you know, with the second uh, executive order, shows to me at least. All right, we went a little too hard. We fucked up. We went too far. So what happens with those folks in that in-between time? Lives ruined. Jobs lost. 
families broken up, scarred for life. What happens to them? Oh, my bad. Should have came to this country legally. Really? Immigration judges having quotas. Really? Are you fucking serious? Why? That can only go sideways. And will absolutely do so inevitably. Like private prisons. There is literally an incentive. Monetary gain. The more folks are incarcerated in private prisons, the more money private prisons make. What situation are you creating there? You're creating the existence of judges and lawmakers to be lobbied, coerced, bribed in some cases, incentivized to make sure that mass incarceration breeding laws are passed. Mandatory minimum sentencing happens to keep those private prisons packed and everyone that benefits from the financial gain continuing to benefit. You create that incentive structure. Similarly, by giving judges quotas, quotas for deporting people. What the fuck do you think they're going to do? They're going to deport people. They're going to meet and exceed their quotas. Not just the gang members and rapists and killers and criminals. I don't give a flying fuck about those people. I really don't. This is not some liberal rant, some lefty kumbaya, we can all get along without borders, don't deport anybody bullshit. This isn't that. I have made my thoughts clear on this podcast in the past in relation to violent criminals, whether they're immigrants or not. Take those folks and do like, donate their body, them to science and do fucking experiments and shit on them to better society with what we learn. Do whatever the fuck you want with those. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the hardworking, tax-paying people and families that are being deported, whose lives are being devastated to meet some arbitrary quota that somebody's boss set because somebody's boss wanted to appease their boss, which in turn is doing so to appease their boss and their boss and their boss and snowballing up the chain of command to appease somebody else up and down a desensitized, misinformed, often if informed at all, chain of command. And they show officers being told by their ranking officers things like, you need to bring X amount of people in today. I don't care where you get them from. Get them. It's another form of a quota. If you tell me, go out there and arrest five people today, and I go out there, I'm on high alert doing my job, I arrest a few criminals, but I only got four for the day and I need one more, like, fuck, I just saw that that dude throw a, a, a gum wrapper on the floor. Let me go arrest him, too. Got to meet my quota. That shit's not right, man. And the last thing I'll say on, on this, which I, I don't think this piece is in the dock, at least not in the first couple episodes that I've seen, but the argument that I've heard of, well, Obama deported more people than Trump. Why weren't you mad at him? That's such a dumb short-sighted argument in my opinion because i think that makes my point that's not a plus for you because i'm not arguing more deportations bad less deportations good that's not what i'm saying it's not about quantity it's about the quality of the deportations board control and immigration policies are necessary mechanisms for any sovereign nation listen back to speeches from Obama, Bush, Clinton, Bush Sr. Go as far back down the line as you want. 
all of them have spoken about curbing illegal illegal immigration, etc. And it's true. Obama deported more people than Trump has to date. He was even known as the deporter in chief. You know what's also true? He prioritized and deported the criminals, the rapists, the folks with records. It wasn't this free-for-all hodgepodge that Trump had going on. And you know what? Did you know before the right has brought it up as some sort of, you know, positive talking point on their part that Obama deported more people than Trump has? I didn't. Maybe I'm alone on that. I don't think so, but I don't think you did either. And you know why? Because he was a fucking leader. He handled the country's business without the need of it becoming this pervasive, divisive tool to pit us against them and to sow fear of the other. He handled the country's business. He handled family business. He didn't air dirty laundry. He didn't tweet nonsense. And numbers-wise, these are also kind of telling that when Trump took office, immediately following and before, immediately following his first executive order and before the, the second one, there was a sharp increase in deportations that, again, started to curb after the second executive order. But the most telling number to me, if you want to compare numbers, the number of families that were split up under Trump versus Obama, it's a fraction, a huge disparity there. So many more families broken up and separated. Families, fathers, mothers, kids, hardworking, echando su familia pa'lante. So many more under Trump, a fraction under Obama, because that's not where the focus was. That's not where the deliberate focus of separate the families so that they'll be scared to come here. That's not where the approach was. Something else that I think is worth mentioning is the volatility coming from the top down, the scattered nature of the leadership, which you can definitely see from Trump's erratic behavior, flip-flopping, constant contradicting statements, his nature of just like shooting from the hip and making shit up. That is one thing when it comes to optics and perception and speeches and Twitter and shit like that. But it becomes, in my opinion, a very practical thing when you see it trickle down through your administration, which I'm about to highlight here. ICE as an agency reports to the Department of Homeland Security. The Department of Homeland Security was established by George W. Bush post 9-11. And since its inception and under George W. Bush, there were three secretaries under George W. Bush. There were then three secretaries of Homeland Security under Barack Obama, spanning eight years of his presidency. Under Trump, within three years of his presidency, there have been five different Secretaries of Homeland Security. And in my opinion, that's just a testament to how that volatility has trickled down through his administration and that inconsistency, that uncertainty, it's not a good thing. Shit ideas come out of situations like that. Lack of leadership and direction are not good things to have within any organization. Think about a microcosm of that type of situation. If you have a restaurant and you're constantly changing the chef, and the food's different and inconsistent every time. Your customers will never know what to expect. 
they won't know what they're getting. They'll have a different experience every time. Businesses in that situation often fail. And in my opinion, inconsistency in policy and false starts and executive orders one way, then reversals of executive orders breed these types of issues. Anyway, folks, I digress. Vote on November 3rd and check out Immigration Nation on Netflix. The Joe Budden Podcast. For those of you that don't know, Joe Budden is a retired rapper and host of the very popular Joe Budden Podcast, along with his co-hosts, Maul, Rory, and Parks. I'm a big fan of the show. I listen to them all the time. They have a dope podcast, and it was, I think, number one on Spotify. It was like Spotify's biggest podcast uh, for like two years. Prior to Spotify going out and buying Bill Simmons' The Ringer Network, Gimlet Media, another podcast network that has several shows, and making a few other acquisitions. And for those of you that don't know, uh, Joe Budden's Spotify exclusive contract is up. And instead of renegotiating to stay with Spotify, he's opting to leave, which is very interesting for me from the perspective of a podcast creator myself, right? Because we see, you know, Spotify spending many, many, many millions. It was like 250 million for The Ringer, the 100 million for Joe Rogan, although I'll put an asterisk next to that one because that's just a licensing deal. It's not like the Ringer and and Gimlet where they purchased uh, the IP. So they've spent a lot of this money to essentially purchase market share in the podcast game, if you will. So it's interesting to see Joe Budden opting to leave Spotify. Even after Spotify put out a statement and admittedly offered Joe Budden substantially more than the original terms of the original deal. And if you've been following the T, if you will, <laughs> Joe Budden's last two episodes, I believe it was uh, episode 375 and 376, he's gone in on elaborating on what has happened, alluded to what he was offered, why they're choosing to leave, etc. Because there's only, I think, under under the contract, they only have uh, like five episodes left or something like that with Spotify. And they've left it open to if Spotify wants to come to the table with something better, I guess, but they've pretty much made it known that, that they're leaving. And the offer that Joe Budden and the team is turning away is admittedly much more money than they've ever made. And it's somewhere in the eight figure range. That's what they're turning down. That's the upped offer from Spotify. And for those of you pulling out a calculator to count eight zeros, that's like in the 10 million plus range. What's dope, and and again, from a a creative standpoint, and that Joe mentions in some of his rants, is that he's able to even say any of this shit, and, you know, Spotify can't, like, censor it or anything like that, because his deal, similar to Rogan's, is also a licensing deal with Spotify, like that Spotify exclusivity. And when you own your IP and you have full creative control clauses, you can basically do what you want. Spotify can't stop the airing. They don't own the RSS feed for the show. And I've always learned, or learned early on, rather, um, from just listening to podcasts and, you know, within uh, the writing 
sphere as well that owning your IP is everything. It's better to take less money and own your IP and full creative control than large money and not have ownership over it. And a reason like this is case in point within the podcast game. Because you have all the leverage in the world, especially when you have a a show that's as big as the Joe Budden podcast, which just for some perspective has on YouTube alone, which again is usually a fraction of the listeners that a show gets because the podcasts are largely an audio medium. But on YouTube alone, they have like 900,000 subscribers or something like that, closing in on a million. Each episode gets a quarter of a million or more views, all of which I'm sure Spotify is fine with, in a sense. Now, even though, you know, they've put out statements and try to do like a kind of like damage control because Joe's speaking about contract shit and stuff like that. So it's not a great look for them. But at the same time, they're getting a shitload of views and listens. I'll be honest, though, like Joe has a like a rap of being his own worst enemy and fucking up a good thing. And initially, when I when I saw the news break and I saw like his first rant about it, I thought it was like more of that. But as I listened to more of the show, you know, the full 375 and 376, I'm like peeping more game, if you will. And it may not be a bad thing for them. I'm for sure rooting for them. I'm just curious at this point to see if A, Spotify does come to the table in the 11th hour and offers them substantially more and, you know, equity, participation in ad revenue, et cetera, et cetera, without wanting to take ownership. And honestly, I, I'll speculate and say that I don't think that Spotify will. Not because it's not in their best interest to, but I'd be surprised if they did because they've made a lot of investments in the podcast space that I just mentioned. And I feel like they're going to treat the, the JBP as like the sacrificial lamb that they had to let go and not reconcile with while they let a fiscal cycle go and then evaluate their return on investment. But that's just, you know, my speculation there. And I'm curious also to see if B, the Joe Budden podcast signs an exclusivity with somebody else that comes to the table, correct? Or if they just take the podcast wide, which they have the audience to do. They have the built-in almost million person audience to do. And to be very well off from doing so. And by going wide, I mean just to distribute it everywhere. Like, for example, the Smut Sunday podcast is a wide podcast. You can listen on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on TuneIn, on Player FM, anywhere and everywhere you listen to podcasts. You can listen to the Smut Sunday podcast. So that's what I mean by going wide. Either way, though, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how this plays out. And I'm absolutely rooting for the JBP. Joe, Maul, Rory, and Parks, hats off to you guys for doing your thing over the past couple years. Salute for standing up for creatives and continuing to do so. If interested, folks, I will link to episodes 375 and 376 of the Joe Button Podcast for your listening pleasure. The King of Staten Island. Written by Judd Apatow, Pete Davidson, and Dave Cyrus. I thought the movie was really good. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I'm biased because I love Judd Apatow. I think he's 
a brilliant writer and director. Pete Davidson is such a dope comic and creative. I've spoken about his uh, comedy specials before on this podcast. And then you had folks like Bill Burr, comedy goat, fucking legend, Marissa Tomei, sorry, Academy Award winning Marissa Tomei. And it was just a good movie. You know what it is with Judd Apatow's movies? Aside from being funny and well-made, they are not like big budget monstrosities that have like no soul. They're very heartfelt movies, in my opinion. Steve Buscemi was in it and was amazing as always. Action Bronson was in it and he was so Action Bronson. If you know what I mean, you know what I mean. The story is like loosely based on Pete Davidson and growing up in Staten Island. He's like this kind of like a loser guy that doesn't want to leave home, can't hold a steady job. His father was a deceased uh, firefighter that died on the job, which is true of Pete Davidson's real father, which died at 9-11. Marissa Tomei plays his mother. Bill Burr plays a love interest of Marissa Tomei. So it's like static between Pete Davidson and Bill Burr. Bill Burr happens to also be a firefighter. And Pete Davidson and finding out more about his father through Bill Burr and other firefighters that knew him starts finding out more about himself and like getting his shit together a bit. And it's a movie with a happy but realistic ending, I would call it. And it was just a feel good, enjoyable movie that I laughed a lot in. P. Davidson's friends play like pothead, like losers also. Not that there's a correlation between being a pothead and a loser. So I'll rephrase that to say they were potheads, comma, and also losers. <laughs> but the dynamic between them was really funny. And yeah, you guys should definitely check it out. I recommend it. The King of Staten Island. Rest in peace to Chadwick Boseman. For those of you who may not know, Chadwick Boseman was an actor known most for his incredible role in Marvel's Black Panther, died at age 43 after a four-year fight against colon cancer. The remarkable thing, aside from his illustrious career, is that nobody knew he was sick. I mean, not nobody. I'm sure like close friends and family may have known, but nothing leaked out. The public didn't know. He was literally getting chemotherapy and having surgeries and fighting this thing over four years, a span of four years. And just to put in perspective for folks and even for, my, for myself, whenever I think about bitching about, you know, things in my life and, and hardships during those four years, that four year fight for his life, he kept working, he kept grinding. He made the following six movies during that four year span. Captain America Civil War, Marshall, which I haven't seen. I want to see it. It's the uh, story of Thurgood Marshall, the first African-American to become and serve a Supreme, as a Supreme Court justice. Avengers Infinity War, Black Panther, which was just a moment, a moment in time and history and culture. Like that movie was like, not just a movie, it was a moment. As well as 21 Bridges, which I have not seen, and The Five Bloods, which I know is on Netflix, but I have not seen as well. And there's been just this outpouring of just like love and reverence for him 
from all his colleagues, all his fans. It's like nobody had like not one negative bad thing to say about the guy. And I've seen like different clips and interviews with him. And you get a sense of like his grace. You know, there's a a clip that I saw of him speaking about two kids that died of cancer. Because he used to frequent like children's cancer wards and like visit the kids and try to like lift their spirits. And he was speaking about two kids that died that really wanted to get to see the Black Panther movie. And then like he broke down as he was saying it. And I wonder how much of that is not only the sense of responsibility he must have felt to those kids and to his fans, but also how much had to do with his own mortality and the shit that he was going through. It's a sad loss, man. Aside from the movies I mentioned, he, he always seemed to take on like powerful roles. Like in the movie 42, which is the story of Jackie Robinson, which is the baseball player that broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball. And the story of James Brown, Get On Up. It's a deep, sad loss. And again, just want to say rest in peace to Chadwick Boseman. Now, not to end on such a somber note, I want to leave you guys with a a bit of happy news, good news, personal news of mine. Whose else personal news would it be if I'm the only one speaking, right? (laughs) Uh, wifey and I are expecting baby number two. She's due in mid to end October. So in about uh, another month and a half, actually. So it's, uh, not too far off and I'm really excited about it with my firstborn Aiden. It was something new. My first kid, her first kid, we didn't know, you know, what to expect and like all or most first-time parents, it's just like a panicky, scary, unknown situation that you're walking into. With baby number two, true to all those, uh, I forget what commercials they were. I don't remember if they were like Geico commercials, but they were really good commercials where they're like first kid, and you're just like doing whatever, and then like second kid, you're like much more careless. (laughs) They couldn't have been Geico commercials, were they? I don't know. I definitely don't plan to be like careless or anything like that deliberately, but the, I guess a lot of the unknown sense is alleviated and like the paranoia and the uh, just like general sense of being scared. I don't have that. And it's just like a lot of excitement and anticipation. You know, there's no like external, there's no internal woes that I'm dealing with it's more external things like you know now in this time with COVID and and shit being volatile like that it's scary in that sense but we know of like two different friends for example that have had kids recently I think one this past weekend and the other one about two weeks ago and things are a little different like for example they're not keeping folks in the hospital for like three or four days or two to three days after giving birth, they are discharging you the next day as part of their like COVID protocols. So that's a little bit different, but you know, you got to make the trip from the hospital to home anyway. And, you know, less time in the hospital being exposed to so many other people is probably a good thing 
a safer thing. The only thing that I'm worried about in terms of differences is if there's like a second wave uh, spike here in New York of COVID because I know someone else that had a uh, kid in, I believe it was like late March, early April, and he couldn't even be at the hospital. They didn't allow him, not just in the like delivery room, but he wasn't allowed in the hospital at all to see the birth of his child because of COVID. And that would suck, you know, just my wife having to be alone and go through that alone. And obviously me not being able to, to be there to support her and to welcome the new baby, that would fucking suck. But hopefully that's not the case. Stay positive, as will I, so that baby number two gets here safe and sound. Oh, the other thing that they're doing is that they're letting you schedule a day to be induced a week before the due date, up to a week before the due date, which honestly, from a convenience standpoint, to not have to worry about like in the middle of the night or water breaking and rushing to the hospital or, or something like that, being able to schedule it and know, okay, we're going to the hospital today to have the baby, similar to uh, like if somebody had like a scheduled C-section or something like that, I think that's a plus as well on my part. So aside from that, all happy, excited to see how, how my son Aiden uh, deals with us bringing his new baby brother home. Like really excited to see his reaction and and how he adjusts to no longer being the, the only child, the spoiled baby prince of the household. So that's going to be uh, an interesting transition as well. All right, folks. With that, I'm going to wrap up the episode. I hope all is well on your end. I appreciate the hell out of each and every one of you that listen. Thank you for your continued support. Remember to subscribe to my newsletter at spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe. It's a dope newsletter. I send it out once a week. And you'll definitely get some value and or entertainment from it. Stay tuned, listen to some tunes in the background, vibe out a bit, and then listen to a few other ways you can help support this show if you so choose. One, two, three, four. Get up, get on up. Get up, get on up. Stay on the scene. Get on up like a sex machine. Get on up. folks tony here and i hope you're enjoying the show as much as i enjoy putting it together for you if you'd like to support i'd really appreciate it and we'll give you a one-stop shop of sorts on how to do so if you can make your way over to spuntoday.com forward slash support you'll find a bunch of different ways where you can do just that there you'll find an amazon banner similar to 
the other banners found throughout my website that you can click on and will take you to Amazon where you can do your shopping like you normally do. This will not cost you anything extra and Amazon will pay me a percentage just for driving traffic to their website. It's a great way to help support the show financially without actually having to come out of pocket. At sponsorday.com forward slash support, you'll also find links to my Patreon and Kofi pages. Patreon and Kofi are two similar websites where you can set up reoccurring donations for the show. If you want to donate a dollar per month, a dollar per episode, a hundred dollars per episode, whatever you like, you can check out either one of those two services there. There's actually also a Patreon video that's kind of like a little tutorial explanation video of how Patreon actually works. Also at spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll find a direct donation button where you, you can donate by way of PayPal. You'll find a link to Apple Music, which works similar to the Amazon banner. You can click on it. It'll take you to Apple's website where you can do your purchasing like you normally do. And again, it does not cost you anything extra, but I will get paid a percentage just for driving traffic to their website. And you'll also find links to the Spun Today Viral Style Store. This is where you can get Spun Today related merch. And you'll find things like these cool premium t-shirts that have uh, writing related sayings on them that I put together myself. I'm definitely not a clothing designer by any stretch of the imagination, but I put together things that I wanted to see and, and uh, wear myself. A couple of my favorites are the one that says writing is life and another one that says write need every day and it has like a puff of smoke looking design right behind uh, those words. You'll also find a sponsored a coffee mug and a really cool color changing mug that's related to my debut novel Fractal. It's completely black and when it gets hot when you put it in coffee or tea, it starts changing to white and it also exposes the cover art for my novel Fractal. It's pretty dope. So definitely check all that stuff out, which again, you can find by going to sponsory.com forward slash support. And of course, do not forget to follow me on all of your social media at Sponsory on Twitter, at Sponsory on Instagram. Subscribe to the Sponsory YouTube channel where you can find clips and excerpts from the podcast along with other cool content like the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash spun today. Also, don't forget to check out all the free shit that I have on my website as well. Go to spuntoday.com forward slash free writing. And there you're going to find dozens and dozens and dozens of free writing pieces that you can check out for motivation and inspiration and just some general food for thought. You can check out some of my photography at spuntoday.com forward slash photography. Feel free to take any of those pictures and use them as you wish. I set it up so that you can like copy and download the photos. And my short stories are available at spuntoday.com forward slash short stories. And last but certainly not least, my pride and joy corner spuntoday.com forward slash books. Here you will find my published books, 
which you fine folks can find links to purchase them on Amazon, whether you want hard copies or digital uh, Kindle copies, that's the spot for you. Thank you very much for being a Today listener. And as always, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. I love you, Aiden. I love you, Daddy.